Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Today on the Coffeehouse, we're venturing back to England, but in a time period we haven't quite covered yet. We'll be exploring the late 1600s, after the time of William Shakespeare and Queen Elizabeth I, but before the times of well-known composers like George Frederick Handel. This period is known as the Restoration, as the English monarchy was re-established following the Puritan rule. And our token composer we'll be investigating today is none other than Henry Purcell. Henry Purcell was born to Henry Purcell, senior, he was not his own father, and Elizabeth Purcell in 1659. His father and uncle were both appointed court musicians in the royal chapel, and so Henry was exposed to music from an early age. Henry Purcell Sr. died in 1664 when Henry Jr. was only five. This obviously took a toll on the family as his mother had to move Henry along with his five siblings into a more modest living. However, this did not affect Henry's musical growth. He was admitted into the court chapel as a choir boy in 1668, and by this time had also begun his dalliances into composition. At this time, there were many big names in the higher-up music positions in the court, John Blow and Matthew Locke were court composers and organists and are said to have taught Purcell. In 1673, Purcell's voice broke, meaning he could no longer participate as a choir boy in the chapel. But since he showed such great musical acuity, a new position was found for him and he was appointed as an assistant instrument keeper under John Higginston. Under this position, he was in charge of such tasks as maintaining the chapel organ, which, if you recall from our episode about the organ, would be no small task. And, of course, all during this time, he was increasing his musical skills. His rank as court musician continued to rise, and in 1677, he was appointed as composer in ordinary for the violins, meaning he was able to compose chamber music for the exclusive entertainment of the royals. Thus began Purcell's true ascent to greatness at court. In 1679, he was assigned to be the organist at Westminster Abbey. He actually took over this position from his own teacher, John Blow. Apparently, Blow had nothing but praise for the new young organ master. His skills on the instrument were legendary, and Blow welcomed him to the post with no hard feelings. Purcell then held this prestigious position his whole life, And although Purcell was obviously heavily involved in the church music of the day, his employment did not preclude him from writing secular works. He became a very well-known composer of works for stage, mostly in the form of incidental music. A more well-known piece of his is The Fairy Queen, based on Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. Anyone who has studied music history in a conservatory-style setting will also likely know Purcell for his famous opera Dido and Aeneas, written near the end of his life in 1689. This is one of the first true operas written in England. Not only is there incidental music, but also the actors would sing arias and choruses. This work depicts a love story between Dido, the queen of Carthage, and Aeneas, a Trojan prince. 
It is a tragedy, as when Aeneas is forced to leave due to witches' meddling, Dido kills herself. The most famous part of this work is Dido's final lament titled, quote, When I Am Laid in Earth, and the ground bass, which is a continuous repeating bassline pattern throughout the work, was a technique that Purcell borrowed from the Italian opera style of the time, and it was revolutionary for this sort of thing to be heard in English music at the time. This work was not written for a performance at court. Rather, it was intended for a boarding school in Chelsea, the Josias Priest's School for Young Gentlewomen. Purcell also composed a few harpsichord suites, sometimes based on his works for theater. He, of course, contributed heavily to the church music of the time, but mostly in the vocal realm, rather than specifically for the organ. In late 1694, Queen Mary died of smallpox. Purcell was in charge of writing her funeral music, which we will be exploring in more detail shortly. This music was performed in 1695, when Mary's funeral was actually held. And this turned out to be one of the last works Purcell was composed, as he himself died later that year as well, suspected of pneumonia. He was buried in Westminster Abbey near his beloved organ, and Queen Mary's own funeral music was used during his funeral procession. He was only 36 years old at the time of his death, and he was outlived by his former teacher, John Blow. With the organist of Westminster position once again vacant, Blow was reappointed to his old post. We will now go on to talking about this famous funeral music for Queen Mary. This work was not so much composed as it was compiled in 1695. Purcell wrote a few new pieces specifically for the Queen's funeral, namely the Canzonia, or a fanfare-like canon, and a sacred anthem, Thou Notest Lord. However, the rest of the composition utilized earlier works from Purcell's composing life. The original scores were written for chorus, organ, and an old instrument called the, quote, flat trumpet. That's with two T's and an E. These were brass instruments with a slide, but unlike a modern trombone where the slide goes in front of the performer, these instruments' slide went out behind the performer. Though not in the original notation, timpani are also often included in modern performances of the work, and today, we will be listening to three selections from the funeral music selection. The first, man that is born of a woman, then in the midst of life we are in death, and the aforementioned anthem, Thou Knowest, Lord. We'll be starting with man that is born of a woman. This is quite a simple text. It goes as follows. Man that is born of a woman hath but a short time to live and is full of misery. He cometh up and is cut down like a flower. He fleeth as it were a shadow, and never continueth in one stay. Very dreary. This is perfect for a funeral. And this is the period in music history where text painting was really quite popular. And even though this was for a funeral, Purcell was still somewhat cheeky with his musical setting of these words. For the text of, quote, He cometh up. Every time the chorus repeats that line, Purcell has written a four-note upward scale. Similarly, for and is cut down, there is a corresponding downward scale. For the line, and never continueth in one stay, Purcell has actually split the line. 
He emphasizes the never continueth part by literally having the line stop right there. After each iteration of the line, there are several rests before that voice part is allowed to come back in, as we can hear exemplified by the soprano voice here. Purcell ends this piece with an interesting chord. It is only made up of the tonic and dominant notes, so the first and the fifth. There is no third. This seems to leave the mode somewhat up to the listener. Without the third, this is not necessarily in either the major or minor mode, but based on how the listener interprets the notes leading up to the chord, they may perceive it as one or the other. We will now move on to the next selection, In the Midst of Life We Are in Death. This piece is somewhat dissonant, even to our modern ears, and certainly at the time of its writing, it must have been a wholly jarring experience to hear. Right off the bat, at the end of the first line, Purcell hits us with a tritone to emphasize the word death. Now, we've spoken about the use of the tritone, also known as a diminished fifth, in some previous episodes. In the eras before Purcell, the tritone was banned from sacred music for fear that it was the devil's tone, since it was a perversion of the normal and pretty perfect fifth, which we had just heard at the end of the previous work. However, by the time Purcell was writing, this tone was no longer banned, but it's still a dissonance that we are wholly not expecting. Conversely, to later emphasize the word Lord, Purcell has written a lovely perfect fifth that is built up to in a major mode. And as the chorus is begging the Lord to not, quote, deliver us into the bitter pains of eternal death, Purcell has written an ever-intensifying upward chromatic scale like the wails of the mourners attending the beloved queen's funeral. And finally, we reach Purcell's original anthem, Thou Knowest, Lord. This is really a very simple setting. Apparently, this more homophonic setting was used at Purcell's funeral. However, for Queen Mary's funeral, he had written a more complex, polyphonic version. As a refresher, homophonic means each syllable gets one note, while polyphonic means each syllable can be extended over a flourish of several notes. You can hear right away this piece's words are much more easily discernible due to the whole choir singing in a unison rhythm. This piece also features some pauses in the music, perhaps to make sure certain phrases are emphasized. At the end of the anthem, 
Purcell actually does give us a cadence that features the third of the chord rather than just the open perfect fifth as he had ended the previous two movements with. And he chooses to make this the major third rather than the minor third. And at the end, Purcell gives a final amen using a traditional plagal or 4 to 1 cadence, which has actually been nicknamed the Amen cadence because of its frequency of use in this exact scenario. And much like that would have been a fitting and final end to the Queen's funeral, it is also the ending to this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much, everybody, who has tuned in to this episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. If you have enjoyed what you've listened to, learning about Purcell, please go ahead and drop us a review on iTunes or Google Music. I think it's YouTube Music now. YouTube yep. Podcast. Yep. It is. Drop us a review there as well and share us with a like-minded friend who would enjoy learning more about music. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Excerpts from Music for the Funeral of Queen Mary were performed by Consortium Pro Cantone Sacra, conducted by Michael Sinov. You can find The Coffeehouse on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Find us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. <laughs>